Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Whoa! Hey Sam, how have you been? Good man, good. I've been, I've been, I've been well. Uh, I've been watching a, a television show that you recommended to me. Netflix's Queer Eye. Oh yeah. Have we mentioned this at all on on our podcast? Maybe, maybe in passing. Maybe in passing. But I think we should really, really get into it. Absolutely. It's a reboot of the uh, British. Was it British version of this TV show? Was it was an American, American show, and I think it was a British version. Yeah. But it was called Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, and then I think during its initial run, it got shown to Queer Eye. And now it's just Queer Eye. Now it's just Queer Eye. So they've rebooted it. They have five new guys. They're all gay guys who um, uh, are sort of lifestyle gurus. And they come in and help somebody and reorganize their entire life. And each one is assigned to a different part of them. And it's always some kind of fixer-upper, sad character who needs some, you know, love and attention. Needs some TLC. Yeah. And one of the guys is just like, his label is Culture, but he's basically a therapist. Karamo. Karamo. Yeah, I thought the culture meant the guy would be like, have you considered listening to this great record? Or, you know, there's some, <laughs> maybe you should go to this new play that's just You and young fathers are pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that's what that meant. But instead, it just means like, uh, how do you feel about your dad? And, you know, he just asks him searching questions and stuff. And he just generally seems like a very good natured man. Well, they all are, aren't they? Yeah, all very true. Lovely. Anyway, it's very wholesome television. A lot of people have been telling me how excellent it is, how much they enjoy watching it. And I, and I do enjoy it. But um, I have a I have a, a one big thought about about the television show. Hit me with the thought. And I'm gonna I want you to help me explore this because I haven't really thought this through. But it was kind of prompted by you know when we were watching Ladybird and we were talking a bit about that, and I was saying how like it seems like it's part of a uh, there's some kind of recognition in Ladybird more about like mental health issues uh, and the everyday nature of them and the way in which mental health problems are not like. Um, you know dividing lines in society where you have certain people who are like depressed and anxious and other people who are normal but it's more like about the general stress and anxiety that runs through everyday life you know and it's true of adolescents and their parents and everybody and it's more like the difficulty of just getting through normal life seems more front and stage and i and i felt watching queer eye that that's very true in this show as well yeah and and you and you compared it a bit to the work that movie we uh, we watched the documentary about the guys in prison who go through this kind of scream therapy. You know, they sort of yeah. go in and they have like dramatic breakdowns to work through their shit. And um, and I think that there is a comparison to be made there because all of these guys are doing it's like a lifestyle makeover show, like changing rooms, but it's also about you know uh, psych psychological like assistance. You know, making people feel better at themselves. And they talk a lot about how 
we don't really want to change you. We just want to make you the best version of yourself that you can be and that kind of thing. And it's an interesting show in that it feels very wholesome and they are extremely good natured and they're very, you know, they have the, the best interest of the person they're helping at heart very much so. Um, but they are, they're all, they're dealing with people who all seem a bit like sad and like lonely, detached from, you know, society and stuff for very everyday reasons. And they're kind of, um, the sort of therapy they do, it's a bit like retail therapy, you know? Yeah. It's like, they don't really deal with the, whatever the substantive like problems that this person might have. They're just like, we'll just get you some nice clothes, get you a nice morning routine, uh, transform everything in your house into like rich person stuff we'll just throw out all of your old shit and give you a much nicer like <laughs> yeah, yeah, house of someone who won't you know who has like a much bigger budget um and uh and then and then you know and then maybe you'll be fine you'll be fine after that um so it's i mean it's like it's such a well-meaning show that it's extremely charming to watch but there's something a bit odd about the way in which it's like the solution to your problems is to have a different like basically a different life yeah, and it's like the fantasy of the show is like um, it's all these people whose houses are messy because like in the course of a normal life, you just build up a lot of shit. And it's this sort of visual metaphor for clearing away all of the, your clutter and replacing it with this clean. Everything is clean and new and all works together and it's all beautiful. And it's like an expression of you in that you told one of the guys on the show that you liked Cuba and now everything in your house is fucking some Cuban <laughs> shit you know <laughs> so it's like you know so therefore it's an expression of you um but it just felt like you know it's nothing it's nothing against the show particularly because obviously it's not going to be a political program in any way and they're not going to be like the problem is capitalism you know they're not going to say that to the people in the show obviously but like it felt in some ways that the reason that this show is striking a chord maybe more than previous incarnations of it is the way in which that it puts front and center this like recognition of the ordinary people who are the subjects of the show as in some way worn down and like saddened and made anxious by like everyday existence yeah like they're not really poor you know they're not all people who are like oh i can't feed myself and the guy's like well have you considered sourdough you know (laughs) it's like it's not like that they're just you know in some kind of more general way unhappy and and like the show is addressing that and I felt I feel like there's a general trend towards this, and I and there was another example which is now not leaping to mind, but it was Lady Bird. And there was something else that triggered this as well that I was watching, where it's like, what do you Tomb Raider? Tomb Raider? Yeah, it's Tomb Raider. Yeah, it was a Tomb Raider. No, uh, it's not Tomb Raider, but it was like, I I feel there's there's more cultural products basically in which everyday life is portrayed as a struggle. Yeah, that's like beyond you know, just sort of comedy neuroses or something like that. But it's just about, like, the way in which people are feeling particularly beaten down by things. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's true. I think in, like... Well, not in the show's defense, because I agree with you. But I think there's something to be said for, like... You know, if you feel unhappy, sort of the, the people have sort of let themselves go to seed a little bit. Yeah. And, like, if you just kind of press the reset switch, they might fall into a different pattern. Well, it's like... It's like the sort of... I mean, of the show, like it's very interesting because the normal message that you get from like consumer society about these kinds of anxieties is is like, uh, well, what you need is to buy a selection of creams, go to the gym. Uh, it's like all the all the stuff that you know is being satirized in a movie like Fight Club or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, or even Train Spotting, <laughs> where it's like, 
what what you really need is like a clean house, a great wardrobe, uh, good attitude, uh, you know, and and all this kinds of stuff. And like and and that's that's what'll make you happy. It's like all of the remedies that the general consumer society has to offer you. You just have to embrace it and like get with the program, and then you'll be a happy person. And there's there's clear shades of that in the show. But at the same time, it's this kind of group therapy session where you get a brand new set of friends. They all love you and they want to help you. And they just like... Tell you you're great the whole time. They tell you you're fucking great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and you know, and that is very wholesome and, and rewarding. Um, so it somehow feels like a more... There's something that feels really genuine about it, even though there's, sort of, there's aspects to it which are, you know, it's like hyper-capitalist kind of uh, television in a way. So yeah. I don't know. I've been, I've been, I've been slightly, I've been slightly fascinated by it. Yeah, but I think something we can both agree on is that Anthony's fucking useless. Anthony's fucking <laughs> shit. He's like comically shit, and it's really funny watching the show, like having um, recognized this. First of all, my first thing about Anthony is that he looks, he really looks like Christian Bale. I think. Yeah. He's strongly and like and also specifically like American Psycho Christian Bale, in that he looks, he's he's real like not a hair out of place type guy. He look, always looks perfect. I mean, they all look very, you know, they look, they all look great all the time. They look great, great, great looking, great, great looking guys, great bunch of lads, great looking. But he is particularly magazine fresh at all times, and um, uh, and he has just this slightly intense kind of air to him, and he has a similar kind of upper lip as Christian Bale. I don't know if you, yeah. don't know if you know what I mean, but it's a slight. And he sounds like a sat nav. Prominent upper lip. He sounds like a sat nav. Uh, you ever cut an avocado before? It's like what the fuck? I just think this guy is ready to, to fucking take an axe to you, you know, yeah. if you if you if you're alone with him. And he's also <laughs> his um he's gonna start like telling you about like uh it's hip to be square or something, and then put on a Mac and then yeah, yeah. you know n- knock your brains out with an axe. Um, and yeah, all the food he makes is just like risibly lame. And in the most recent episode, so I'm only about half no. I, Halfway through, there's only eight episodes of it, right? So I, the most reason I want to watch was episode seven, and I've already like had it drilled into me how shit Anthony is because all he ever makes is fucking cheese toasties or like meatloaf or like you know <laughs> puts avocado, it's a grapefruit, and drills it with olive oil. And it's like this is a great snack; you can make it whenever. It's like, okay, <laughs> okay, who are you? Okay, <laughs> he literally like there's one episode the avocado gravy thing. He takes this guy to a to like a grocery store, and he's like, so uh, this is a uh, grapefruit. It's an it's an, it's an incredible fruit. It's full of nutrients. Like he knows what a fucking grapefruit is. I, I get that you're transforming his life, but it's like he's literally never been to a place where they sell fruit ever. It just seems seem absolutely absurd. Uh, but in the most recent one, he didn't. He literally didn't do anything. There was like one scene of him, you know, looking in the guy's fridge, and you know, this is being a terrible like, fridge. This margarine is really old, you know. Uh, but he didn't. He didn't make any food. It must. How bad must it have been that they edited they it out? out? And the episode was forty-five minutes long. <laughs> it, was, it was like the longest one. Would you be queer, right? Oh yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah. I would. Well, first of all, they give you a ton of free, free shit, <laughs> which is great. I would love to have my. I think you're doing okay. Though. I think Tan would approve of you. You got the slim fit trousers and I the do, prints. I do. That's like his two things. I don't have that many like short sleeve shirts with prints on them, though. I think, oh. he, I think Tan would give me some of those. Yeah, give me some of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I would. I mean, of course, I would. Who wouldn't go for it? Who wouldn't? Obviously, you'd go for it. Bobby could remodel this entire flat. <laughs> yeah, put another floor on it. I just wouldn't want to say the wrong thing to him and just accidentally get a flat. I wouldn't want to be like, oh, I really liked, uh, you know, 
Iron Man or something. And like, <laughs> well, I've just your entire house is, looks like Iron Man's house now. This is like my moment to buy Christmas presents. You got to make yeah. sure you've made some sort of offhand comment. Well, exactly, like, yeah. You know that thing you mentioned once? It's like, well, I'm so thoughtful. I've got you this. It's like, there's a reason I mentioned that once. You know, I don't care. Um, no offense to my mother. Anyway, I this is the new cultural trend I'm identifying. You know, you've heard it here first, maybe, unless other people have mentioned this. But I feel like look forwards to seeing more cultural things where they put front and center the fact that everyone is sad. I feel like that's going to be a key cultural trend Absolutely. for 2018. We're all sad. Let's all just talk about how sad we are. <laughs> maybe that way we'll be less sad. Exactly. Exactly. A problem, you know, shared is a problem halved. Anyway, Danny. So we'll be we'll be obviously embracing that by talking mainly about sadness for the rest of this uh, podcast episode. Uh, but what's what in general is this all about? Like, what, what is it about? What's it about generally? Oh well, glad you asked because I have the perfect little summation of what the podcast is about. Oh, so, great. Film Chat is a podcast all about a real estate con artist named Sam Foster who panics when he learns that he's going to go to prison for fraud. Sam's fear of jailhouse rape leads him to hire a mysterious guru known as Danny Moran, who helps transform him into a creative martial arts expert. During his incarceration, Sam uses his newfound skills to intimidate his fellow prisoners and prevents the prisoners from hitting or raping each other. He gains the prisoners' respect and eventually becomes their leader, bringing peace and harmony to the prison yard. But the corrupt warden has a plan to profit by turning the prison into a deranged war zone, therefore forcing its closure and then selling off the property as valuable real estate. Sam helps him with the real estate aspects in exchange for early parole. However, his peacemaking efforts threaten the warden's plan for a riot, and thus he is persuaded to bring back the violence. But will Sam keep his pact with the evil warden, or will his conscience get the better of him? Those questions would be answered if this was a adaptation of the actual film Big Stan. This is in fact just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me, a man with zen-like calm, even if he's about to get sodomized, Sam Foster. Wasn't there this movie with Kevin Hart and Will Ferrell recently with the, that exact premise? Oh yeah, Get Hard. Get Hard. Wasn't it the same thing? Where yeah. he's going to prison. Well, this and, is like, a Rob Schneider movie. A white guy's going to prison, and a black guy has to teach him to like fight. Well, in this one, it's uh, David Carradine, or Keith... David Carradine, uh, Bill from Kill Bill. Yeah, it's yeah. Like a, it's, uh, it's not a black guy. Kane, so Kane, got... Kane from Kung Fu. Yeah. So it doesn't have the uncomfortable racial connotations. Yeah, but that's still like has... everyone he fights in prison is black. I don't know. I just I just copied and pasted the Wikipedia <laughs> entry. Didn't really investigate this film too much, to be honest with you. All right, we've heard all the feedback, everyone. We have been listening to you. So this is the episode that everyone has been clamoring for for quite a long time now, a Dominic West special. That's right, for the next hour or so, this is going to be all Dominic West, all the time, absolutely relentless, breathless level of Dominic West chat. Uh, his highs, his lows, his creamy middles, his compelling performance in Ruben Erstlin's Palm Door winning drama, The Square, the type of highbrow satire aimed at the sort of people most likely to see the film, and his equally outstanding performance in the new Tomb Raider film, which is all about some people raiding a tomb. We'll also be discussing the latest efforts to keep life in the flagging Men in Black franchise, which is sorely in need of a star turn from the legendary Dominic West, and the latest superhero <laughs> headed to the big screen, specifically all the ways in which could benefit from the presence of Dominic West, and how key aspects of the character's biography are highly reminiscent of Dominic West. All that should leave just enough time for me to introduce a new segment in the podcast. It's called The Dominic West Hour. This will be a recurring segment. Uh, don't let the name fool you. Um, it's called the Dominic West Hour, but it's a bit like a happy hour in a bar 
in that despite the name it's actually more like two or three hours long and uh we'll basically be going deep it's a deep dive into dominic west uh the real nitty-gritty of his upbringing what makes him tick what makes him talk what he likes uh his turn-ons his turn-offs um we'll rate all of his body parts uh out of a hundred <laughs> <laughs> and uh just just deal with just deal with him uh exhaustively uh but it will be recurring so we might have to go over some stuff to check if we were right the first time of course of course do you know what my favorite comic movie is what's your favorite comic book movie punisher warzone do you know why dominic west dominic west dominic west it? baby he plays a character well he starts off his name's like joey handsome or something yeah. but then punisher like puts him into like a a a glass crushing machine that fucks up his face and he becomes jigsaw uh, and like there's a bit where the mob is like what the fuck happened to you Joey you used to be so handsome he's like call me jigsaw <laughs> call me ugly Joe call, call me ugly Joe uh, yeah it's a great movie it's a bit where he just kills everybody shoots them all in the head it's a bit where he kills everybody <laughs> yeah. is there yeah uh, I wouldn't recommend this film to people sounds sounds evil it's very violent by uh, Lexi Alexander, the director of Green Street. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Wow, what a great fact. Uh, all that and more coming up in the Dominic West Hour. She sent us a link to a Wikipedia page from for an upcoming film from 2018 called Rampage. She says, I have a feeling this film will be, for genetic editing, what Lucy was for neuroscience. Lucy being that Luc Besson movie starring Scarlett Johansson as somebody who learns how to use 100% of her brain, which I think makes her like some kind of uh, transcendent, all-powerful being. Yeah, of course. Um, so Rampage, this is based on a video game series of the same name. So that's a good sign. Good sign. Never been a bad video game movie. Absolutely not. Uh, and it is about a primatologist called Davis Okoye, a man who keeps people at a distance. This is the Wikipedia plot summary. Who shares an unshakable and unbreakable bond with George, the extraordinarily intelligent albino gorilla who has been in his care most of his life. But a mysterious genetic experiment mutates this once gentle ape into a raging creature of enormous size. <laughs> who wrote... <laughs> you can sell this as crowdsource, can't you? Like, who would write this shit? To make matters worse, it's soon discovered that a wolf called Ralph and a crocodile, Lizzie, have undergone similar changes. As these newly created apex predators battle each other for supremacy and tear across North America, destroying everything in their path, Okoye teams with discredited genetic <laughs> discredited genetic engineer Dr. Kate Caldwell to secure an antidote. The two fight their way through the ever-changing battlefield, not only to halt a global catastrophe, but also to save the fearsome beast. That was once Okoye's friend. And there's been a trailer for this movie. I've seen it. I've seen it. Uh, it features Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He's doing that thing he does where he's always in like a sort of jungle gear now. <laughs> yeah, he's always either in a literal jungle or some kind of figurative jungle. Or like a city that's been turned, in, turned into a jungle. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to it to be honest with you. I Are you not looking forward to I'm it? I think it's a flawed premise. What's the flaw? Well, I don't want to see the ape hurt. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's the antagonist. Well, it's like King Kong, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't like King Kong either. I feel like it's got a full premise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't want the apes. I like too much sympathy for the I ape. I like a bit when the ape is fighting the dinosaurs. Yeah. 
That's good. But I don't like the end of the movie and the beginning of the film. Too cruel. <laughs> Too cruel. Yeah. I just feel bad for Rampage. It wasn't Beauty that killed the beast, was it? It was you, you fucking prick. Yeah, it was a fucking plane, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Loads of planes. Yeah, it was your fault. Yeah. Yeah. Because Beauty killed the beast. No, it's you. You bastard. Um, I don't know. I feel like, you know, how well did Kong Scarlet do or the Godzilla remake? Obviously, well enough. I feel like it's just such a sort of thing from the past. Uh, massive animals attacking cities. Yeah. It feels like from a different era of human culture where that was exciting. And now well, I'm just King like, Kong is from the 1930s. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> so. And so because it's like 40s, 50s. I don't know. It just feels like... Same with like Pacific Rim. I was like, don't see the appeal of huge things. It's like, but it's like they're two huge things. That's the same as two regular sized people. It's all making them both look normal size. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, this isn't, is it? It's Dwayne. I mean, he is huge for a human, but he's he pales in comparison to this giant albino monstrous. <laughs> if the monkey was super evil, I could go on board with it. But it just seems like a sort of nice monkey's had a bad day, you know. What it do you think? What it should be is that he's a primatologist and he works with a series of apes, one of whom is evil. Yeah. And the rest of them are fine. Yeah. And then the evil ape takes this kind of serum <laughs> yeah. that makes him huge, and then his job is to hunt it down and just kill it because it's evil. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> How about this for a premise? Yeah. It's like it's about a primatologist and an ape. The ape is good. The primatologist is evil, and then the primatologist gets injected with a serum that makes him huge, <laughs> yeah. and he goes on a rampage. So Dwayne the Rock Johnson grows to fifteen feet in size. Now, now okay, now I'm interested. And right? he's like, he's downtown. He's wrecking the place. He's like <laughs> turning over cars. He's roaring. They're like firing on him with tanks and helicopters. It's bouncing straight off him. It's a bit Hulk-like. Yeah. And the only person who could stop him, who really understands him, <laughs> is the ape who spent a lot of time with him. But they're like the ape hasn't been injected with anything. It's just a normal ape. So it's a bit like Meet Joe Black or something like that. But you reverse. I well, love it. Well, you know, it's just like it's it's going to be about a movie about a, an adorable animal who saves the day. Okay, now I'm on board. So it's like it's you know it's going to be like uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes meets Beethoven or something. Do you think that sounds good? Yes. There we go. Yes. Now, now, now I'm on now board. That's a fucking elevator pitch. Right there. Do you buy Dwayne Rock Johnson as a geneticist? Well, geneticists might like the gym, you know, a lot. <laughs> I just can't buy him as like any profession because like surely he must spend his entire time at the gym. Where does he? Re- his... wrestling. Yeah, exactly. I can't. Where do you find the time to? Uh... How much time do can... you like? How much time a day do you need to spend at the gym to look like that? Do you think? Well, there was that quite good viral video of the guy trying to copy Dwayne the <laughs> Rock Johnson's diet for a day and like could made it to like noon had to give up because he like had to set it like wake up at five in the morning eat four chickens yeah like you know pump a, a shit ton of iron and then uh you know go about his day and then like four hours later do the exact same thing and just like the amount of upkeep to keep him that huge is just incredible. He must be very busy. Yeah. As a result, just very very busy, just maintaining his physique. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. Makes no sense. But, you know, I guess if you can't get past that, how are you going to buy the giant marauding albino gorilla? So, <laughs> movies are a place of fantasy. Who am I to really pick holes? Well, quite. I hope this film does get, create a bit more interest in genes. Maybe it will make some people become zoologists. Maybe Georgia will notice an uptick in people, you know, applying for a job at the science podcast where she works. Um, you never know. Maybe it'll be good for the world of science. Absolutely. And maybe the film will conclude with some citations and it will be like, uh, did you enjoy this uh, fantasy film? It bears no resemblance to real science. <laughs> but if you're interested in the topic, perhaps you might want to read a few of these papers by a 
select group of uh, real genetics. <laughs> Would it, would it be that sort of like tossed off? <laughs> Just hastily recorded by the director. Yeah. <laughs> and then maybe uh, you could... Uh, I, rec- I recommend could... some fine reading material. And here's a conservation society you may wish to denote, to, to, to donate to. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Why not? Why not? Superhero films announced Casting rumours leaking out M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tips Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint That's the news that's fit to print The Men in Black franchise It was consisted of that one good movie And two lackluster follow-ups And then there was talks of Crossing over the 21 Jump Street franchise with it uh, whoever thought of that as dead from overdosing or whatever drugs they were on when they thought of that or something but Sony thinks says you know there's life in the old franchise yeah and the latest incarnation which we just heard news of this week is one which will star Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson Thor and the Valkyrie uh, respectively her most iconic role Tessa Thompson she's in everything these days she was the she's le- cropping up in a lot she was in Creed she's in Annihilation she's very cool on social media big uh spokeswoman for the me too movement did a good calling out of lena dunham and just owning people left right and center i'm slightly in love with her she's very cool i really liked her there's a rumor her ropey british accent in thor ragnarok's very sexy there's a rumor that she and janelle monet are dating and that's like that's that's too fucking cool no 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 no, it's too cool no no won't accept that one sorry 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 too awesome um, so that sounds like exciting casting to replace the Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones double acts and F. Gary Gray, who uh, most recently directed Fast and Furious 8, mm-hmm. is set to direct. He previously made Fridays and, no, sorry, Friday, that Chris Duckett Ice Cube comedy and a bunch of not so great movies in between then, but every once in a while has a massive hit. Uh, yeah, so obviously that casting is, it won't be the same as Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith because neither of those people are straight straight man a straight man a straight, a straight a straight man a straight man a straight woman because you know who's playing foil to who because they're both got such great light comedic touch well i'd say i think uh, neither of them are straightforwardly comic actors either that's also true so i guess it depends on the way they, they write it because i could kind of imagine them either they could go either way yeah you know, they could both be very comic or, or or done quite straight but i think it's a good move to reboot it in this way because Will Smith's shtick is just... It's not the 90s anymore, you know? It's not the 90s. Yeah, his 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 shtick has run dry a little bit. It's run dry. Um, and I don't know. I've <laughs> why not? I mean, why not? it's just another another thing. They can't let it go. It was successful, you know... Once. T- once, 20 years ago. Uh, but people still like the idea of it. Cool people in suits, plus aliens. Why not go for it? Also, the first one was quite... It's, much more smartly written than most blockbusters. Yeah. And I think it really holds up, especially the the uh, the whole uh, series of test scenes. Oh, that, those, that's a great sequence. I but there's the sequence. whole scene about like racial profiling in it. Yeah. In like the mid 90s. And this feels very... And then like he made Bright and it was like, you've already made your cool random <laughs> fantasy cop movie about racial profiling. Yeah, it was yeah. Men in Black and it was great. Although although for some people I've seen the critique of Men in Black that it's like a kind of pro-immigration police movie because basically what they're doing is finding aliens, you know, that, that, that don't have the correct papers. And I wasn't woke as a kid, I didn't get this. And they're booting them, they're booting them off the earth. So what? it's really like a racist movie because it's like anti-immigration. Cause they're, yeah. cause, cause they're, it's like they're, protecting the earth from the scum of the universe. Exactly. That is 
That's they're, like fucking Katie Hopkins. They're border police, aren't they? Yeah. They, they, I mean, the movie is literally about them fighting cockroaches. Oh my god! The <laughs> you blunt <blend so> wide <laughs> open. It's it is it is Katie Hopkins. <laughs> it's it's literally about them fighting immigrant cockroaches. <laughs> Shit! Oh my god! This movie's you've literally completely changed this film before my eyes. <laughs> Well, I hadn't really thought of it on those on those terms either until someone pointed that out to me, and I was like, okay, yeah, they are border police. And at the end, Tommy Lee Jones is like so ashamed of what he's done; he has to delete his entire memory for his entire life. <laughs> yeah, it's like I've wasted my life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I've just been people who are looking for refuge from probably, you know, like other planets who are coming in for very legitimate reasons, just looking for a better life. Not doing any harm, are they? Yeah. The, the aliens, except for the one guy who wants to destroy the Earth, yeah. the rest of them, they're not doing any harm at all. Yeah, they're just kind of hanging out, aren't they? There's like the guy who's in the gun shop and the, the dog and whatever. They're all fine. The little well, one who lives in the face. That, those little tiny, like, stick insect Mexicans, you know? Yeah, who drink coffee and smoke cigarettes. I mean, that's also a bit of an odd thing. They've got kind of like Kitty Gonzalez-type accents, but, <laughs> but they're like aliens, you know? Yeah. Literally aliens. So it's like the Hispanics have got like the sort of low-level cleaning jobs or something. They do. Yeah, they do, <laughs> don't they? Because they're kind of put to work. So like if you don't have your papers, you have to fucking work for the men in black. You got to clean up their shit. So that's not right, is it? Oh, my God. <laughs> Thank God they're rebooting it. I hope I'm they... Sure I'm sure they'll deal with I this I hope aspect. they address all of these issues. Yeah, it's going to be a real pro-immigrant movie, I'm sure. Here's hoping. Now I've got to think of what happened in the second one. Similar thing, that woman, Selena, right? That chick making me sick, right? Uh, it's the worthless <laughs> to her. She'd be tripping like messing with men's son and something. I'm black kryptonite. Yeah. Do, have you seen the film or only, I heard, just know the rap. only heard the theme tune? As a similar thing, right? She's just trying to conquer the earth. She is and that's why to... it's so bad. It's a it's crappy retread. Yeah. And then in the third one, it's Jermaine Clement. But there's this similar thing where stuff comes out of his arms. Why can't you have a Man in Black villain where shit doesn't come out of their arms, you know? Yeah. In the first one, he's bugs come out of him. In the, in the second one, she turns into snakes and stuff. And in the third one, he gets, like, you know, claws and other shit comes out of him. It's like, enough. Limited pool of ideas. Limited pool of ideas. You're the whole universe. It's like Doctor Who or whatever. Just come up with some new, new crazy stuff. Sure. So my main hope for this one is that they will in some way tackle the racist underpinnings to the anti-immigrant themes and also not have a villain where, like, shit comes out of their arms. Yeah. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. I love superheroes. I'm a, I'm a nerd. I love people who have powers. You nerd. And I will see any movie that features someone who undergoes some kind of radical transformation <laughs> and turns into a different version of themselves. The latest version uh, comes to this movie coming up. You know, some people say that the whole genre has been saturated and there's too many of these movies. Not me. I say not enough. Not enough. Every film should be a superhero film. And my wish is coming true. Uh, Spike Lee, he is not a very likely director to be on the superhero slate, but he is lining up for a uh, film called Nightwatch. This is reported by Empire, and they say, according to the gang at that hashtag show. I don't know what that is. 
Don't know what that is. Don't know what it is. Had to trust that is a reliable source because Empire is reporting it. So this film will be called um, uh, It's Night Watch. Well, the, the superhero is Night Watch, and uh, it is part of Sony's kind of corner of the Marvel universe, which is getting increasingly confused since they made this deal with Marvel to lend Spider Man, but they're still producing stuff that is kind of related to Spider Man, but it's not related to the wider Marvel universe. So it's all a bit confusing. So the Venom movie coming so out. So the Venom movie, there's some there's some sort of talk that maybe this you know, Tom Holland will cameo in it or something, but it's not part of the wider Marvel universe. So it's all a bit, you know, guys, iron out the fucking footnotes in your contract so that moviegoers can understand what the fuck is going on in the films sure, they go sure. to see. Um, so uh, anyway, what they're, they're considering making this Nightwatch movie. The guy who was the showrunner behind the Luke Cage television show is apparently working on a version of the screenplay. I was not familiar with the with the Nightwatch character. Uh, but I have looked him looked him up on Wikipedia. He looks a little bit like Spawn. He's this kind of he's like in a black suit. He's got a big cape. There's a great biography though. His alter ego is called Doctor Kevin Trench. Here's the fictional <laughs> character biography in Wikipedia. Nightwatch was Doctor Kevin Trench, who witnessed a costumed man die battling some terrorists armed with invisibility generating cloaking devices. He unmasked the corpse to learn that it was an older version of himself. Freaking out, Trench stripped the costume from his body and fled to a deserted island, reasoning that if he just never wore the suit or went home, he wouldn't die. Now, this is a great origin story. This is great. Very paradoxical. You you meet a costumed crime fighter superhero. It is you from the future. They're dead. <laughs> yeah. What do you do? You can't become the superhero. Then you'll be doomed to die. So instead, you uh, flee to a desert island and do not put the suit on. This is uh, Novikov's self-consistency principle in action. Oh, yeah? Is that some kind of time travel story stuff? It's like the idea... You know that the grandfather paradox, you can't go back in time and kill your granddad. Yeah, because then you could not have gone back in time to do it. Exactly, but the self-consistency... The Novikov self... I might be getting the name wrong, but the idea is that uh, it allows you to go back in time, but you can't do stuff that would affect the future. Or if you have affected the future, you've always done it, and it's always been that way. Yeah. So if you went back and tried to kill your granddad, the likelihood of possible but unlikely things would increase. So if you tried to shoot him, and there's like a one in a million chance the gun backfires and kills you, that would, would happen because that is possible in the realms of physics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But killing your granddad is impossible. Yeah. I guess the alternative is that it always creates a new timeline. Yeah. And you're just from a different timeline yeah, if you so go back in time. Exactly. In the in the Nightwatch story, um. A criminal called Alfredo <laughs> stole one of the costume gloves um, after he washed up on the island and was nursed back to health by Dr. Kevin Trench. Well, he is a doctor. Well, he's a doctor. Uh, and uh, he deals with Alfredo, but then he decides that he's going to have to investigate the costume's origins. So that sounds very fascinating. I don't know exactly what it is that's appealing to uh, this about Spike Lee, but he does have history of making like uh, big studio movies. He made Inside Man. Yeah. Uh, and he's... Uh filming Black Klansman at the moment, produced by Jordan Peele, which sounds great. Yeah, well, that sounds, like that sounds Adam awesome. Driver, the guy, white guy. Uh, no, it's a black guy infiltrating the KKK. It's a black guy infiltrating the KKK. Based on a true just, story. Just simply by never going in person. <laughs> <laughs> and Chirac was really good, so it feels like he's, you know, got his mojo back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, why not, you know? Yeah, and I guess... Um, sounds, sounds a bit bonkers, but okay. You know, one of the positive things about... Uh, there being so many superhero movies is that they can't they have to keep on finding new angles on them or they can't just produce the same like bland uh, stuff yeah or like all the a-list superheroes are gone so they have to go into the weird 
fringe stuff. Yeah, like yeah. a movie like Doctor Strange would not have been made ten years ago, but now they've just run out of superheroes. So like we have to do this insane, multi-dimensional, godlike, you know, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that was one of the better ones, precisely because it was so weird. So why not a guy who time travel black guy <laughs> on an island? Sounds nuts. <laughs> Spike Lee, he's a great filmmaker when he's on form. Yeah, why not? Why, why not? not? I feel like this, this is becoming our cash well, race of the episode. Why, why not? not? Why well, not? Well, it's a bit of a snow, slow news week. You know, it's hard for us to have strong opinions about these things. I'll give it. I just have a strong. It's going to be the best film of all time. Oh, well, I think it's going to be awful. I, I hate the whole concept of it. You're a you're a fucking idiot. Fuck you. Oh, you fuck. fucking <laughs> stupid prick. Oh no, you're the stupid <laughs> prick, and you look like a twat <laughs> sitting there in your chair. Oof. Oh, I have nothing to. Nothing. To, no comebacks. <laughs> Can't come out from that. Uh, why do we? Why do we do this to each other? Time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe make a quick snack and telephone friends so you know where she's at. Right, that's enough. Now back to film chat. I have seen another film for some reason, which like there's really no good reason to go and watch. It's in it's in a, a new series of trips to the cinema that I'm undergoing. You know, remember when I had my project to like try to catch up on some of the classic films that I were missing from my canon? Sure. I'm now doing an opposite project, which is to see films that is completely pointless to see, and that there's no use in having seen them at all. They will never come up again. No one ever <laughs> asks about them, and no one gives a shit. Cool. Uh, so following on from Red Sparrow, the latest entry in this is Tomb Raider. This stars Alicia Vikander. It is an adaptation of the very famous um, video game series and previously made into a movie with Angelina Jolie. And this is a quote-unquote grittier take <laughs> on the character, which basically means, you know, that's code for less sexist. Um, and uh, it is kind of based on a reboot of the video game series that came out in 2013, also just called Tomb Raider. Um, in which she was, you know, didn't have like uh, huge giant breasts, pointy breasts, giant pointy, unrealistic breasts, and was it was re- turned into a kind of survival game about her, like on a on an island, uh, and it's a kind of coming of age story about like a young woman who washes up on an island and she has to kind of like learn to survive on the island, and it was kind of influenced heavily by uh, the Uncharted and Far Cry series of games. And it's a bit like that. And this, the Tomb Raider movie, is very similar kind of a deal. It's directed by a guy who I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's something like Raw Uthorg. Um, and he, he directed The Wave. Do you remember that German? Sure. That German movie. And it's I t- remember hearing about it. Yeah, Never saw it. And you've not seen it? No. It's pretty good. I remember quite liking it. Um, anyway, there's waves in this. I guess they were like, <laughs> there's a C sequence. Got the guy who directed The Wave. Uh, so anyway, he's back to make this film. Um, it also stars so Alicia Vikander is Lara Croft it also stars Dominic West of course Dominic West the star of our special Dominic West episode uh, who is her father and various other people Walton Goggins who's on the Hollywood Rolodex of you know villain actors and he crops up here to play the bad guy and Christian Scott Thomas appears Derek Jacobi is in it in an extremely hilarious turn as a kind of like boardroom posh guy who's in literally two scenes that he must have spent about one hour in total on set <laughs> and uh, just all his lines are purely functional and it's just very entertaining him being in the movie so anyway so I went to see this um, I'm well and, and what I told to you is are you 14 year olds <laughs> then you'll probably find this movie fine uh, I thought it was okay it looks like the sort of film that is destined to end up on ITV2 in about three years. 
and you'll see it you know you watch about you know between 30 and 60 minutes of it but with a bunch of ad breaks and then you'll go and do something else and you're like that was fine that passed the time um it owes a lot to a bunch of different things uh i mean i've heard it like in the empire review they said it was um heavily indebted or like a ripoff of basically indiana jones and i don't think that's quite correct because um it is the child of basically a bunch of different things and i think that the basic problem with it is uh and maybe this is an issue with video game adaptations in general especially adaptations of video games which are heavily influenced themselves by movies yes the law of diminishing returns well you get this kind of yeah exactly it's like diminishing returns but you end up with a cultural product that just feels overprocessed, that it's just been through too many iterations and it's just a reflection, ever reflection, ever reflection. And it's just like a shadow of different things. So obviously the original Tomb Raider games were influenced by Indiana Jones. And, uh, and now this is like an adaptation of them, but it's also Far Cry and it's also Uncharted, but Uncharted is itself a kind of Indiana Jones type adventure and it just feels like a collection of you know sort of cultural reference points rather than a story necessarily unto itself um the main thing that's in its going in its favor is the fact that it is a movie that feels made for a general audience rather than for horny teenage boys so it's definitely not like um there's there's no there's no sort of lustfulness or like salaciousness towards like the main character and alicia vikander is like quite charming in it um and she doesn't like sort of get that much to do well i mean she doesn't get much to work with obviously she's she has lots to do she's yeah, the central yeah. character of the movie but she just doesn't have like too much to work with in the film um the the basic plot of it is uh she is the child of a very wealthy adventurer um played by dominic west who goes uh missing and she believes him to be alive everyone else thinks that he's dead and she won't kind of sign some kind of will or something like that that would confirm that he was dead but then she would inherit all of his like wealth and and she has a a guardian who's putting pressure on her to do so and she decides to do so but then she receives a sign that he is maybe still alive and she can follow a trail of the last quest that he went on which involved some kind of uh, japanese death goddess on a whose tomb is on a hidden island and tomb you say yeah i mean it it is you have to tell i will say this for it it is about a tomb and it is about people raiding the team. Brilliant. So there, so so there is that. Um, and even so, she embarks on on this adventure uh, to find it. It kind of feels like a. It was at some point written in a more coherent way, and then they were a bit nervous about it and have just edited it or <laughs> just it to death, so that like the pace is abs- The pace of it is absolutely breathless. Nonstop shit happens all the time, but it doesn't. Re- none of it really adds together. And if you sort of stop to think about it too much, you'd be like, those don't, those things, elements don't quite follow on from each other. It doesn't quite make any sense. Uh, but it feels like such a disposable movie that it's hard to get too hung up on any of it. Um, I was worried from the trailer that the CGI would be awful. There's a lot of like ropey green screen from the trailer. And I think they've sort of ironed that out a little bit. They, they put the nerds uh, into overtime a little bit. So it didn't look, that that was fine. Um, and... Uh, yeah i don't know sort of past the time <laughs> it has this weird thing that um that i remember people saying about the video game in that there's like in in the in this sort of rebooted video game this is based on there's some kind of slight um dissonance between the way the story is told and like the action of the game and this is also pre- present in the uncharted series as well 
where the gameplay involves you like murdering a bunch of people because you're like you know a character sure. who has a gun or you have like or she has a bow and arrow um and there's goons there's goons everywhere and you just sort of mow them down uh but in the sequences where there's like cut scenes or story stuff you're portrayed as a you know sensitive or caring normal human person who's not like a psycho um and in the in that tomb raider game there's like a sequence of story in the game where that she kills somebody for the first time and it's like this huge emotional moment but then like the rest of the story she's just like you know killing goons left and right with sure. her bow and arrow because you do that during the gameplay um and an element of that has made it into this film as well so there's like this um sequence where she is responsible for, for somebody's death who you know in self-defense and she's like really freaked out by it and then quickly it kind of switches into like action movie mode and you know it's a bit like indiana jones or something like that and she's just yeah, like, you got over that yeah i'm just over that i'll just kill people now and that's totally fine and then like the very final bit of the film ends with a kicker with the uh the guns you know the iconic i guess yeah tomb raider guns and she's like i love guns now and it just feels like it does not marry with this new you know modern updated sort of coming of age version of the character uh so that's a bit odd um, but I guess the, all those aspects of it that d- you know don't feel like nods to or the the the, the, what, the approach that they've taken to the character that doesn't feel um, driven by that kind of like violent video game thing I think is generally good. Like the general angle they have on it is preferable to previous incarnations, and I think Alicia Vikander plays her well in that she feels like she's being played not as a kind of action movie heroine but as somebody who's out of her depth. And who's come from this like privileged upbringing, but it's just got a lot of you know fight in her, and is very feisty and is sort of tackling the challenges with a lot of like spirit, but is not a kind of unrealistic, you know, superhero. And I thought that was done quite well. Like the bit when she's you know when she gets like tossed about and she's kind of like you know yelling or like screaming and freaking <laughs> out, it just felt more like it felt like that was uh still within the realms of a normal person who's on an adventure rather than i've just like i've switched modes and i'm now a superhero now so okay. you know i don't know it's fine wasn't it you know i'm probably wasting your time by even talking about this movie but i don't know i went to see it I- i'm gonna see it yeah well i did <laughs> so you have to fucking listen to me talk about it i think i've said my bit <laughs> it's gonna come up on tv you'll catch a bit of it and you're like you know what sam was right sam was right about this film not about dominic west Dominic West, wow! What can you? What can you? How do we even begin? Let's talk about Dominic West's performance in this film. So I won't. So I won't. <laughs> so I won't. He's in flashbacks with no beard. Then he's in it with a huge fucking beard. Then he shaves the beard, and then for the rest of the film, he has, he has no beard. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it astonishingly poor? While you were seeing your child's film, I went to see what is normally a more serious film, but maybe is not, the Palm Door winning The Square. Probably is, to be honest. Uh, which is uh, the new film by Ruben Osland, who did Force Majeure, that one about the guy who ran away when his family might get killed, and it's all about fragile masculinity, which I thought was pretty good, and it's definitely... Having seen The Square, I can definitely now pinpoint Ruben Oslin's thing. It's like, modern life is a bit shit, people are twats, metaphors. That's his thing. Loves Got a it. metaphor. Got it. So, The Square, the plot is as follows. So, Christian, played by the magnificently named actor Klaus Bang. Bang for your buck And this one, because he's in it. I don't know. That's not a joke. He is the curator of the ex-royal art museum in Stockholm, and he's the sort of louche bachelor type. 
The movie is very sprawling. It's two and a half hours long and it goes in a lot of different directions. But there are two narrative through lines that form the spine of the movie. One of them is about him hiring a ad agency to promote a new art piece called The Square, The Square of the Title. And the other is about him being robbed and then the steps he takes to get his possessions back and the repercussions those actions have. And here is a clip from the beginning of the film where a journalist called Anne, played by Elizabeth Moss, is interviewing him. And she asks him to explain a very cryptic quote, which is on the museum's uh, homepage of the website. Well, because I wanted to ask you about something that I read on your website. All right. Uh, that I didn't understand and I was hoping that you could help me to understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you mind if I read this to you? Please do. Yeah. Um, May 30, 31. Exhibition, non-exhibition. An evening conversation that explores the dynamics of the exhibitable and the construction of publicness in the spirit of Robert Smithson's site, non-site. From non-site to site, from non-exhibition to exhibition, what is the topos of exhibition, non-exhibition in the crowded moments of mega-exhibition? Do you want to read it? Yeah. yeah. Um... Yeah, I just don't, I'm sorry. I'm clearly not as scholarly as you are. So I was just hoping that you could. Well, this is, um, this was a, a couple of evenings in, in May where we discussed um, when, when, I mean, if you place an object in the museum, does that make this object a piece of art? Mm. For instance, if we took your bag and placed it here, would that make it art? Ah. Okay. Does that answer your question? It, uh, yes, it does, I think. Yeah. So this movie um, is quite divisive. It won the Palm Door and lots of people love it. And lots of people hate it. And I'm somewhere in the middle because I basically... Pick a side. I basically uh, wasn't particularly enraged by the bad bits and was sort of amused by the good bits. So I'm very meh on the movie. But on balance, I kind of liked it. Uh, it's overlong, but some of the bits I thought were thoroughly enjoyable. And some of the bits I was eye-rolling at. Rolling my eyes. It starts off being, and is its most successful, at being a sort of satire of modern art and the kind of pretentious people who are in that world, Christian being like an embodiment of that. And, uh, you know, he is a subject of ridicule in the movie, and he is quite ridiculous. And the movie is sort of about uh, the kind of hollow pretensions of modern art and how that reflects like a sort of a bystander society, where they're always talking about human empathy and progressive values, but he just lives in this very privileged bubble, and you see him have tons of tiny little petty uh, dislikes and he like never gives change to uh, the homeless and when someone asks for a sandwich and like he's like I'll buy you a sandwich and he's like can I have it with no onions he just gives it one with onions he's like pick out the onions yourself because it's like you should be that attitude where like you should be grateful for anything I give you how yeah, dare yeah. you have and that kind of stuff I think is quite successfully done it sounds like a sick episode of Kirby Enthusiasm <laughs> this film it is a bit curb like actually but not as funny but the thing is, the film is about this kind of cowardly groupthink mentality where everyone, because they don't interact with anyone outside their social uh, strata, they sort of reinforce each other's thing. 
but the film is sort of part of that and making a film critiquing it in a way just kind of reinforces it and like if you really cared about the problems of society why don't you make a movie about that right yeah <laughs> so uh and i think that reading of the film is built into it but i don't think he puts himself under the microscope in the way he puts everything else under the microscope like ruben osland is slightly above everybody in the movie and there are certain things about it that make you that will leave a bad taste in your mouth or it did for me however there are bits that are really good the most heavily promoted bit is and you've probably seen it in the poster is a sort of guy dressed like an ape or like wearing sort of arm extensions doing this performance piece played by terry notary who was a performance capture artist on uh, the plan of the apes movies and there's a whole 10 minute segment where he pretends to be an ape and it's by far the best bit of the movie <laughs> and it's genuinely weird and provocative and kind of making a point uh that the movie is sort of also making but it kind of like does it all in 10 minutes in a way where it's like the movie stops for a bit and it's like and now a performance piece it's like, well, you know, that performance piece was better than the entire film surrounding it. Yeah. In a way that sort of just uh, shows up its shortcomings. And, and there was rest- some review that said that that bit would make a great short film. <laughs> and it's like the like, backhanded compliment, you know. Yeah, and I think that's true. And I think the rest of the movie is a bit too arch and it's a bit too knowing to ever truly land. And it is two and a half hours long. And I think its length is detrimental to the film's uh, success because the film has a limited number of things to say. And also, and it also has a limited number of stylistic tricks. For example, it has this uh, tick where there'll be like a sort of long dialogue scene, and there'll be something weird in the background. For, for example, Elizabeth Moss has a pet chimp. It's never explained why, but there's like a dialogue scene. And there's just a chimp in the background, and then there's like another scene with a similar weird thing happening in the background, and then another scene with something weird happening in the background. And it's like once was successful, twice uh, not so much. Third time, it's just annoying. Yeah, yeah. And another reason for its length is that it becomes a satire of not just the modern art world, but sort of everything. And it has this quite juvenile South Park-like, everyone's a twat, everyone should be ridiculed. And by having so many targets, it becomes quite indulgent. And also the targets it picks don't feel particularly justified. And the way they're critiqued is very lazy. And I mean, it starts by taking the piss out of modern art, which is pretty low-hanging fruit. Very, um, mu- very much so, yeah. And uh, a lot of the sort of jokes about modern art have been made to death and like, I didn't find remotely funny. There was a few titters in the Richmond Curzone I saw it in, which was the perfect <laughs> environment to watch a movie like this. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm going to end with a very bit of pretentious film criticism. You ready for this? Well, it sounds like it's winning the spirit of the film you're exactly. Critiquing. And like, basically, my opinion of the film is like kind of similar to my opinion of like modern art in that uh, the modern art I like is my... I had my reaction to it was just like that's kind of fun or bold I don't have a particularly deep reaction to it but a lot of the stuff I think like that's just provocative or that's just really shallow and I think the square is like that it's just a series of kind of skits vaguely gesturing towards some kind of idea but not really saying anything and I feel that if you like Ruben Austin would be like delighted with that reaction to his own film you know what yeah, I mean it feels yeah. very like if you think about it too much you feel like a joke's being played on you where it's like, what does that scene mean? Is like, what does what does it mean? It's like, well, you should know. <laughs> like, yeah, that, no, no, I know, you, I know what you mean. Well, if you if you take the attitude in a filmmaker that they seem like above it, or they're just you know too cool to make a coherent point, and they're just sort of mocking everything, then that's very aggravating. Yeah, I and think, it's, and it's also a very conservative attitude. I think ultimately, 
Absolutely. And I think it's a case... I don't know. It's just like a very can movie. I can see one the Palm Door because it's this whole thing of like, you know, Ruben Osland, I don't really know his background, but I imagine he's a quite a sort of middle-class white guy and he's made a movie satirizing himself he and probably, the audience... He probably exists in this milieu, basically. Yeah, and the audience is the people who are in the film. So it becomes this weird circle jerk of like, you know, oh, we're mocking ourselves, but we're not really. But they kind of love that, don't they? Yeah, that exactly. Whole crowd fucking loves that shit. Um... So, yeah, I just really didn't understand. I mean, I was kind of, like, amused by some of it. The 8-bit I really liked, and I think the main guy is brilliant in it, and he's just such a dick, and the movie's aware of that. He and bangs. Just, he bangs, and just a lot of his, like, him, uh, him and Elizabeth Moss's, like, scenes are really funny because they're just both really good actors, and they're just like, go actors, you know, be great. But for the most part, I thought it was, like, kind of quite low on ideas, N- not enough to justify its running length. How was Dominic West in it? Dominic West is barely in it, doing a kind of ropey American accent, uh, and he's just, lost his touch since the wire, has he? Or well, he's, he's I think maybe he's because he's going for a more like Midwest. Maybe yeah. he can do Baltimore, but it's like <laughs> his, uh, it's just like a Hugh Laurie, Benedict Cumberbatch, that kind of weird the growl. The growl, you know, I'm an American now. I'm an American. To go into spoilers, there's one scene where Dominic West is like uh, being interviewed for, with like a crowd, like a sort of artist, you know, come, you know, meet the artist sort of Q and A. And there's a guy with Tourette's who keeps on interrupting or, like, you know, keeps on his, you know, condition. Makes, this, swears. Is, this is Kirby enthusiasm. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's, like, not clear. It's, like, are you supposed to be finding it funny just the guy with Tourette's? Or is it funny them soldiering on? And then I think he was asked about it and he's, like, uh, you know, everyone is satirized. It's like, why is the guy with Tourette's, you know, satirized? Don't satirize him. Don't satirize him. The guy's got a debilitating condition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just like, but that response is like, I don't know. You tell me. I've made the movie. It's like, you know, I make, you know. Obnoxious. Exactly. I provoked you. I've made you think. It's like, you haven't. You just made me think the director doesn't know what he's doing. That's my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But some enjoyable bits. I'm like, and even, you know, I am a sort of middle class guy and I, I've i quite enjoyed just uh, watching movies where it's like some sort of bourgeois party and it all goes to shit. I just find that kind of satisfying. Like Melancholia is a bit like that. Happy End. Festin, Happy End. You know, just a bunch of twats hanging around and then something terrible. Like there's sort of, uh, and also Arch- Archipelago is a oh, bit like that. That's what I was thinking of, yeah. We're just, you know, the very British thing of like no one is allowed to be rude and then something happens, that kind of tension. I find, yeah, like, for the most part. But I can see why people would like rotherize it because it is just a bit indulgent. My favorite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio, so she starts a podcast with her friends. And the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. So, following on from the squares idea of you know everyone is up for ridicule and satirize everything, and the reason this sort of like you know, struck me so much as that uh, Ricky Gervais's new Netflix stand-up has come out, Humanity, and it's had a lot of backlash because it's quite transphobic. He claims it's not, uh, but I claim it is. <laughs> and there's also been this, uh, you know, this twat who made his dog do a Nazi salute every time he says gas the Jews. Yeah. And he got... Uh, he got a, uh, a, a criminal sentence. Got or a criminal sentence. His freedom of speech, uh, you know... Is it is it gone? You can't even say gas the juice to a dog and make him do a Nazi <laughs> salute anymore. Are we living in a police state? 
And it just like, I don't know, it just feels like uh, maybe because of this Gervais thing and he's been doing this sort of talk show rounds of like the weird way like comedians have become sort of defenders of the alt-right. Yeah. And like this well, kind like of this weird, weird crossover there. Yeah, exactly. This weird Venn diagram of like, hey, I'm just taking a piss at everything. It's like, you're actually just a bit bigoted. Well, it encompasses this like this sort of new atheism thing as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that, that seems to have morphed or maybe it always was reactionary. I don't know. Um, but it's become this like odd reactionary thing where it's like, more about just saying the unsayable and it's like are you offended are you offended yeah and, and in that way it's the same as it's i mean the whole out this whole uh subculture is is very fascinating and it's all kind of to do with it's very online it's all kind of to do with like 4chan and all these like online boards where they were making all these nazi memes and stuff just to kind of offend you or be provocative and then at some point it just seems to become like out and out nazism and you just get loads of real Nazis who make the same kinds of statements where it's like, oh, are you triggered? You're a snowflake. You don't, you know, <laughs> oh, you, you just can't take the facts. Like, facts don't care about your feelings or whatever. And it's all a bit like, you know, Richard Dawkins being, like, saying some outrageous comment and then being like, you can't be offended. It's just moral logic or something like that. He's like, well, there's such a thing as shades of rape. It's just a fact. Like, if you're, if you're raped at, like, knife point, that's obviously worse than if it's date rape or something. It's like, shut the fuck up, what man. What the fuck? Yeah. He, he got, well, he got in hot water for making some uh, comment of that nature. And then he's like, well, it's just, you know, think of the utilitarian moral logic or something like that. And it's all kind of in the same yeah, yeah. area, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah. And so Gervais just seems to have uh, like embraced this whole thing. I saw someone share this thing on Twitter that was, they just searched for the word offended in his Twitter history and like done a bunch of posts. Mm-hmm. And over the last like four or five years, he's done tons and tons of tweets that were just like, uh, just because you're offended, it doesn't mean you're right. You know, 14,000 retweets and stuff. It's like... Yeah, he's so funny in that he's so thin-skinned. He's, like, transparent. Yeah, and he's hilariously thin-skinned as and, well. And, like, he's if, constantly if he's, saying... If you like, at him and he's saying he's not funny, he just blocks you. Yeah. He's, like, uh, just, like, you know, I don't care. I don't... Because he, he doesn't care, but he obviously cares so much. The weirdest <laughs> thing was, like, he um liked this post because there's been a big backlash in the trans community and, you know, and everyone, but, like, particularly because, like, he, like, recycles his Caitlyn Jenner jokes from his uh, Golden Globes hosting scene a couple of years ago and his sort of stand-up his first 15 minutes which i watched and it's sort of like you know i, I gotta i gotta see what this is about yeah in a way which is like him just talking about the backlash of that and then like sort of doubling down on it and it's like I, you know you couldn't think of any new material you had to like apart from something that happened to you two years ago anyway um he like liked this tweet from this account that says like i'm a trans person and i you know i love the, the stand-up like it wasn't offensive you know it was really clever and it was just like, and this person has only tweeted this one thing. <laughs> it was like six followers. And that was like, their only tweet. And it's clearly just some guy who's made this Twitter account <laughs> pretending to be a trans person. And like the Iden is like a sock puppet. And it's like, like, it's like, like. it's like, how did you even... How did you even find it? Yeah, he must be searching for this stuff all the time. Well, I think he does name search. He just searches up his own name to see like people's comments about him and stuff. Yeah. He's such a ridiculous person. Drifting away from the point slightly... What I find so funny about him is that, like, oh, you could just make a, you know, he's such a fascinating guy, you can make a show about him, but, like, you already made that show. It was, like, extras in The Office. And the weird way that, um, like, and Zee Zari, you know, had these allegations about this, like, sexual predatory behavior, and there was, like, loads of episodes and not of none about that. 
and like Louis C.K.'s show and all this stuff about the way men treat women. But then yeah. he was that person. It's like they made the sort of life story about their fall from grace already yeah, before they became right. the thing. It's like they went back in time and did it. I don't know. It's yeah. very odd. People's, it's like comedians' creative output is like therapy for the worst parts of themselves, but it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very, very, very strange. And it's like, I mean, can you think of any examples of when, uh, you know, this the liberal PC culture has shut somebody down and they've, you know, destroyed them and it was over something that was actually important to say or was in any way, like, valuable or useful or that it was, you know, was it was really a problem where it's like, oh, it's actually terrible that this person was prevented from, you know, saying what they wanted to. Why can that dog just do the Just pile? let the dog see Kyle. Just let him do it. No, it's ridiculous. I mean, the whole thing is just confusing being criticized or being silenced. Yeah, exactly. It's like, exactly. you're not being silenced. You got paid like 40 million by Netflix or something ridiculous like that for yeah. your shitty stand-up hour. I'm being silenced 4,000 retweets yeah, in yeah. like a second. You know, you're in a position of, you know, power and privilege. I mean, the guy who got, you know, hauled in front of a judge was being silenced, but... Count just, Dankula. Well, you shouldn't have said gas the Jews that many times. Yeah, probably shouldn't have said that. Why don't you just not say that? I mean, I get that it's, you know... It's probably all of, like, Gervais is probably out there, like, first they come for the people making the... First they come for the Gastages dog. First they come <laughs> for the Nazis. And then, then what's going to happen? It's like, oh, you're a fucking idiot. You shouldn't have done that. I'm not sure if I can watch Ghost Town anymore the same way I used I to. I might have to, I might, I mean, yeah. That might have to stop my annual rewatch of <laughs> Ghost Town. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'll never watch Cemetery Junction the same way again. It's very sad. Invention of Lying is ruined for me now. Absolutely ruined. Absolutely ruined. That fucking incredible movie he made with Eric Banner. Can't watch... Oh, special Correspondence. Can't see it the same way again. Special Correspondence. So sad, so sad. Uh, you know what has just straightened the bend for me is Spike is four all the time in the world. We've, when he plays the dog. He voiced the dog. Voiced the dog. He was my favourite character, but that dog is dead to me now. Yeah, it's awful, isn't it? I can't even watch uh, the episode of The Simpsons that uh, he wrote or something. Oh, God. can't even watch that anymore. The best half hour of television in history. The The Office is so good. It's such a brandy written show. Like, what happened? I think, like, he has cancelled himself out, though. He's made more bad comedy than good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the, the episode of The Simpsons is the worst episode ever. And The Invention of Lying is possibly the worst movie ever. <laughs> it might, it's, it's up there or down there. Which is, like, it's weird anti-comedy. And all the stand-up is terrible. And, and, he, and, and he's a complete cunt. And he's a complete cunt. <laughs> so, but he made, like, what? What, six hours of really good... <laughs> really good television. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Maybe Steve Merchant, he was a real talent. Maybe. We'll, we'll never know. Let's just say that when I play Portal 2, it's still fine. <laughs> <laughs> still happy to play Portal 2. Don't mind that. I'll, I'll still watch uh, I Give It a Year or whatever that <laughs> film's called. Logan, still good for you, right? <laughs> still good. Still good. Still don't mind Logan, but I turn it off after he... Uh, Hall spoiler, Pass. Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> His character dies. Hall Pass is still good as well. Anyway, listeners, it is now time to bring this episode of Film Chat to a close. Next week, we will be reviewing some great films. What are we going to be reviewing, Danny? Um, Journeyman's out. Might Journeyman. watch that. Yeah, well, you've seen it. I've seen it, so yeah, it'd be weird if I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> weird if you didn't review that. And uh, I don't know what's out. I can't really see Unsane. There's... Isn't um, uh, Ready Player One out? Or is that? I think that might be Thursday. Yeah. Well, well, I guess it depends, depends. Depends when we record it. Depends. Depends on how early I can get to the cinema. 
uh, to see that. Obviously, it would be reviewing Pacific Rim Uprising because you and I will be seeing it the crack of dawn tomorrow, the 9 a.m. screening. Yeah, the IMAX. The IMAX. Row A, seat one and two. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, r- right in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> as unwatchable as possible. Um, unsane. I wonder if we're watching that just like, why would you just shoot a real camera? Just use a real camera. Why is this He's on the He's a genius phone? this way. Yeah. But I don't know. Anyway, friends, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye. See you next time. So long. Bye. Bye. Let's do it. Just tell me the funniest scenes. Let's not go to the, the ones that didn't Well, I, I was fascinated, in fact, that uh, you're uh, quite adept at uh, a sense of humor that I'm familiar with, uh, Holocaust uh, jokes. Uh, and then I believe you actually had a woman who had cerebral palsy, am I correct? Of course. I'm interested in uh, the uh, side of life that you choose to explore. You with a Nazi helmet on. It's funny enough. With that smile. I know. Come but up, but just, to talk, just to talk. <laughs> I, no. I'm sure that uh, you're not happy casting any Jews for your show. That's the feeling I get. I mean, I'm starting to get the feeling that you're not comfortable around Jewish people. And I think the audience sees a certain relish in your eyes when you're playing a Nazi. You're a naughty little boy, and you know it, and there's that gleam in your eye. Why are you choosing to explore those uncomfortable moments? Because it's funny. Because I mean, it's real, funny. But real uncomfortable is that your Is that your sense of humor? If you think of the people that you know that really want to be famous, or are famous and still want more, uh, they're probably not the funniest people. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 